Church family, we're going to be reading from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is God's word. Thank you, Malcolm. I began our service reading from Psalm 19. Uh, the last verse there is, I guess you might call it the preacher's friend. You would have heard it at the beginning of quite a number of messages, I imagine. The psalmist says, Let the words of my mouth... And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray that prayer this morning, that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, not just what gets delivered here, but the preparation that God has, has been working in me, uh, that they would be acceptable to God. What does the psalmist say as a lead up to this statement, though? These things, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, more to be desired than are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. This is really, I guess, the, the motivation of all of us coming to the word of God, isn't it? That we would hear the word of God, that we would be changed by it, that God's goodness would come to us as we meditate on the word of God. Now, as we're looking through Galatians, maybe some of you have begun to read passages like that and thought, oh, but that's no longer for me. Paul's been building this argument of, of moving away from the law and, and not being bound by it. And it can, we can make the mistake of, of thinking that, well, there's, there must be something wrong with the law then. That all of the Old Testament and its encouragements to us to, to transform our hearts and to conform to the image and the will of God by our actions, that they're all to be thrown out. 
passages like this continue to be true and continue to be beautiful. The word of the Lord, it's perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. That's what we want, isn't it? So let's not confuse as we work through Galatians the purpose of the law in pointing us to Christ and the wonder of the law in continuing its work in conforming us. If you really read the psalm in the intent that it's, it's written and, and it's there for, it's plain for, for those who want to see that what the psalmist here is describing is not our work. It's not us conforming ourselves to the law of God. It's the work of God conforming us to his image. And that's what Paul's been about. Those of you who want to use the law as a way of measuring up, as a way of, conf uh, of meeting the standards of God, you're never going to meet it and you're never going to get close to God. But the law of God is wonderful. And it's the Spirit of God who will work in us that which is good and pleasing to God. And in that we will find that the law is confirmed also in us. In Galatians 5, we're up to verse 16. Paul writes to his audience, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I don't know about you, but I read those words and I go, I don't know if I want to keep going. I don't know that I'm looking forward to preaching these words on Sunday. Walk according to the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I look at my life and I go, well, what am I walking by? Is there evidence that I'm walking by the Spirit or is there evidence that I'm gratifying the desires of the flesh? And if there's evidence that I'm gratifying the desires of the flesh, what does that mean about the Spirit of God in me? If you're like me, you might describe your Christian life as something of a roller coaster, one week to another. You feel the spiritual highs, but you also feel the spiritual lows. There's times where you would say, yes, I'm walking with the Spirit. Daily, we'd skip through the gardens together. And there are days that I know what the will of God is, and I'm deliberately working against it. Paul describes it in Romans as, I know the good that I should be doing, but I do the opposite. This is a story still of God's grace. Why am I here if I think this is going to be a struggle? Because my faith is in the grace of God. I'm here because I want to be changed by God. He's placed that desire in me that I do not do. Well, I, I will not do the things that I want to do, but I will do the things that God is working his desires in me to do. And you'll see these things reflected in the passage we're looking at this morning. If you want to be changed by God, if you want the grace of God to be at work in you, that's what we're here to do. So let us turn our hearts to God. Father, may the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. But Lord, may the, the desires of our hearts here this morning be transformed by you. Help us, Lord, see that this is not a burden, a, a new burden that is placed on us that replaces, uh, that, that just takes the place of the old. We're not going from, 
from expectations of the law to expectations of the spirit that are equally unable to, to be achieved. But we're recognising that you are at work in us. Lord, as we open your word, may it be a delight to our eyes. May it be a lightness to our spirit. May it bring joy to us as your people, we ask in Jesus' name. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, verse 17 says, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Paul has recognized that as he speaks the grace of God and and as he seeks to draw people away from the legalism of, of trying to, to attain holiness by the measure of, of keeping the law, there is a tendency for people to say, you've said that I'm free. Am I free to do anything then? Can I delight in, in sin knowing that, that it has no bounds over me? Can I just continue walking in the ways that I please because I'm under the grace of God? Paul says, no. You haven't been released from legalism just to walk into license, just to say whatever it is that I want to do, that that's now the desire of God. Paul says, within us there are these desires, the desire of the flesh and the desire of the spirit. And the desires of the flesh, and he describes them as those things that you want to do, are against the desires of the spirit. And so just as we have seen that God is at work in liberating us from the law, we must see that God's work in us is liberating us also from the flesh. Those desires that are within us, God wants to free us from those things too, so that we, like Paul, can say, God has set me free, and now I am free indeed. I've been um, enjoying the beginning of the Rugby World Cup. I don't know if, if many of you have, have begun that journey, but uh, I, I was secretly going for Fiji the other day, I'm sad to say, um, for my own reasons. But, but I recognised as two teams came on the field, there were Fijians who had some Australian-born people in their team. And there was the Australian team who had, I think, four players who had Fijian origins. Now, what we didn't want to see, whether we were going for the Australians or the Fijians, was Fijians wearing Australian jerseys, deciding at some point, I'm going to score a try for the Fijians. Or Fijians who are Australian-born saying, oh, actually, this is the country I was born in. I, 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 should, I should score points for the other team. We're not bound by the place that we have come from. As Christ has set us free, he's set us free to, to play for his team. And he says, now that you're on God's team, don't go back to living the life that you were living before, for that would be working for the opposition. Instead, see that God has set you free in order to be on his team, to, to score points for him, to be part of his victories. If you are led by the Spirit, he says, if you're wearing his jersey, you're no longer under the law. Let's describe then uh, the works of the flesh that the law has pointed us to. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, 
impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness and orgies. As Paul describes them, we see them as so many negative terms. But as we hear them described in our own culture, some of them have begun to be you know, items of virtue, haven't they? And so part of the, the work of the, the law of God, sorry I'm booming here, is something changing in the microphone, um, is for us to be able to, in, our, in a culture that changes, and in a society where people are directed by their own passions and desires, that we have the word of God saying, now these things are clear. Let me make certain for you those things that are part of the flesh. Because as they are your desires, you're going to look for ways to, to make excuse for these things in your life. So let's be clear about what they are. And he describes them in these ways. Works of the flesh against our bodies, sexual immorality, impurity and sensuality. Works against God like idolatry and sorcery. Works against our social fabric and relationships, enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions and envy. And even works of, well, indulgence, drunkenness and orgies. Uh, the, the calling off of all restraint. The taking of something good and, and taking it to the extreme where it is, is destroyed and begins to destroy us. Now, you look through those things and you say, now what good comes of these? They are things that we desire, of course, but, but as we look at the end result, what good comes from it? I was helped once when Ravi Zacharias describes sin in this way. It, sin or temptation presents to you the, the goodness that's in front of you, but hides from you the trap that lies beyond. It's like there's, there's something that's good for food, but it's hidden in a snare that's going to trap you. That's what these things are about. They might present as things that you want or things that you desire, but in all of them, there is a trap. Why do I say that our society begins to celebrate some of these things? Well, you don't have to look at the news reports uh, or, um, or deliberate changes to our society that, that people are seeking to make. Just look at the, the commercials that come on in the ad breaks. Uh, the latest KFC ad has a, has a girl who's obviously been up all night, drunken, orgies, I don't know, but she looks dishevelled and, and her workmates see her uh, the, the following morning and begin to take out their photos to, to capture this moment of shame. And what's her response? Does anyone, did somebody say KFC? You know, the next thing she's doing, she's feeding a face with chicken. It's sort of like going from, from one excess to another. And that's kind of the answer that our society has. Well, is, is this excess not satisfying you? Well, go to another one. Go to another one. Go to another one. If this isn't the, the pleasure that's, that's going to, to meet your needs, well, there's another one. But all of these work against us. Let me read to you these verses uh, as written by uh, Eugene Peterson in the message. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. 
a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded, lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. Now we describe those things in the extent that they are and they look horrible. But I think like, like me, you could look at that list and go, yep, that one's me. Yep, I've gone from here to there. I've had a taste of that. I've seen a little bit of what lies beyond. That's the road I head down. I know where it leads, but still I desire to go there. Paul is warning us of those things. He's exposing the lies of the evil one to say these are the works of the flesh and they're obvious. Don't pretend them to be anything else. I warned you as I warned you before, he says, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And while in the church we don't want to fall back into rule-keeping and, and, and setting up a, a system of laws in order to keep everyone on track and, and heading the right way, we do need to, to remind each other that, that there are things that we will call good that are not good. We need to see sin as sin. We need to see rebellion as rebellion. We need to be able to see the difference between the, the work of ourselves and the work of God. And so as a pastor to the church, Paul warns them, start making excuses for these things. Start living your life by these things. And the kingdom of heaven holds nothing for you. You have turned from the grace of God. Be careful if you celebrate such things. And here now he's going to direct us to an even better way. And it's not just a better lifestyle, but a better way. The fruit of the Spirit, he begins. Now just before we get into the fruit, contrast that with how he's described the acts of the flesh or the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are, are things that we do, aren't they? But the fruit of the Spirit, is that something that we do? No. It's the work of God producing something in us. One is the work of us and what it leads to. The other is the work of God and what it leads to. That's why it's not legalism here. It's not saying, rather than do these things, work really hard to be loving. Or now that you're not no longer following the, uh, the rules of uh, circumcision and, and all of those sorts of things, follow these rules of, of love and peace. You know, he's not saying, let's set up a new system of impossible standards. He's saying, now that you've been freed from trying to attain a holiness that cannot be achieved but can only be given, walk in that sort of life. 
A life that is not achieved, but a life that is given. The fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces in you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we can see some of the the comparative categories of, of what he's already described in benefiting the body, we have love and joy and peace. Yeah, that's, that becomes our character. Our relationships are transformed as we become people of patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness and gentleness. We're not going to abuse other people. We're going to be careful with them and in our relationships with them. Rather than allowing ourselves to go to excess, we're going to have a spirit of positive restraint, self-control. And at the end of this list, and I wish we had time just to, to go through each one and talk about the beauties of each one, you can do that, of course. He says, against these there, are, there is no law. I don't know exactly what law Paul is describing here. At times, I've looked at this and I've said, you know what's wonderful about the Christian life? I can live as a Christian and I will not break any law. Well, to a point. I mean, Jesus was crucified not because he'd done anything wrong, but because he spoke against, or spoke in a way that, that people disliked. And, and we might face persecution for that. But do you know, if I'm guided by the Spirit into ways of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness, and joy, if I live that sort of a lifestyle, I'm not going to live in a way that harms my neighbour. I'm not going to live in a way that, that exposes me to, to, to recklessness. I'm not going to be so indulgent of, of alcohol or other things that I, I lose control. I'm going to live a very measured, very careful, a very generous life. And our law system will have no power over me. Because I'll be walking as God intends. And the laws of a good country recognise these things. But I think something even greater is being said here. Against such things there is no law. In the context of law as Paul's been describing it, look at the Ten Commandments and those things that people say, well, it's just a list of don'ts, don'ts, don'ts. Uh, well, if you want to look at the, op- well, the, the complement to that, have a look at this list. Love the Lord your God. The Spirit of God brings that love to us. Uh, Do not envy. Do not lie. Do not murder. Be faithful in marriage. All of those things are fulfilled by the Spirit producing his fruit in us. As the Spirit works in us the good things that God desires for us, the law is fulfilled. Just as Christ fulfilled the law and its expectations. It wasn't him just being good. He was living the life that God has intended for us. A life that the law was pointing us to, helping us to see what is good and what is not. Pointing us to something that God wants to produce in us. Against this there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. I want you to 
Uh, oh, hang on, before we get to that, let me just read to you uh, again from the message, his description of this life. What happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives. Much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard, things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a, a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Now, isn't that the sort of life that you would desire? While Paul's described our wants and helped us to see the end result of those, here he presents to us an alternative. What the Spirit produces in us. Isn't it a wonderful life? Can't you, like the psalmist, say the law of the Lord is perfect? As I meditate on it, God brings good things to me. As God was gracious in the, the giving of his word that we might be directed towards him, God is gracious to us in giving us his spirit that we might be able to accomplish these things, that he would be able to do that in us. It's a wonderful life that Paul is describing. Now, uh, here's the question. Think for yourself in a moment or speak to the person next to you about what is the meaning of the word justification? It's a big word, I know. It's one of those Asian words. Um, but what does it mean to be justified? Think or chat. What does justification mean? What does it mean to be justified? Catherine. To be okayified? Okay. Just if I'd never sinned? That's a helpful little reminder, isn't it? Yes? Yeah? To be set free from the power of sin. And its penalty. Okay. So there's sort of a past present and ongoing aspect of justification, isn't there? Justified, never sinned. That's sort of I, the sin of my past has been dealt with. It means I have something positive to look forward to. It means I'm brought into something ongoing. Uh, if you want to unpack some of the, the, the ideas that Paul's packed into just a few verses here, uh, open up Romans 5 through to nine through the week and read him talk about some of these you know if if i'm freed from the law can i go on and sin and those sorts of things he addresses some of those things very plainly but also what he talks about is what is the work of the spirit in us he says already in galatians uh, galatians 2 20 he said it in these ways i have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We have died with Christ. His death was our death. We have been raised with Christ. His life 
is our life. The righteousness that we have is Christ's righteousness. If I was to ask you who's as righteous as me, some of you, many of you would probably put up your hands and go, yeah, I could beat him any day. If I was to, to call out some saints of history and say, who's, who's more righteous than they? Well, I think many of you would put your hands down. There might be still a few bold ones. If I was to say, who has the righteousness of Christ? Would there be any still with their hands raised? Let me tell you, we should all have our hands raised. I have the righteousness of Christ. It's not anything that I have done. But I've been crucified with him and I've been raised to life with him. The life I now live, I live by the Spirit. I am righteous. That's what it means to be justified. Not just that my sins are forgiven. Not just that I have hope one day of, of eternal life. But I have the life of Christ here and now. Now you can begin to see how futile it is to wander into acts of the flesh, can't you? It's like you've been raised in a house that was hostile and abusive. And it's led to certain behaviours. You, you get afraid when, when people enter the room or, or you don't know how to respond to love. But you've been rescued from that house and you've been put in a house of love. And sometimes when someone walks in the room, you still cringe in fear. Or sometimes when someone acts out in love towards you, you just don't know how to respond. Those things are just echoes of your old life. They have nothing to do with the new life that you are now living in. And so the, the work of the Spirit is in transforming us to understand fully the grace that we are now in. It's the work of the Spirit producing in us love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Those things we didn't learn in the old way. They're part of the new way. They're part of the new nature. And so how do we take those things on? Paul says we live by the Spirit. He began by saying we walk by the Spirit. He says now we live by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. It is an ongoing, 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 ongoing relationship. And so you wake up in the morning and you say, Good morning, Holy Spirit. What are the things that we are going to do today? You turn away from the things that, that look like the old man and you say, How can I embody love in this? Spirit, give me love. How can I show forgiveness in this? It's not in my nature, but it is in my spirit. Show me how to forgive. There are things that I want to look at. There are things I want to do. There's food I want to eat. There's alcohol I want to drink. Help me to turn away from these things because I know they just lead to death. They have nothing to do with the kingdom that I've been called in. I've died with Christ. I've been raised to life with him. The spirit that raised Christ to life lives in me. 
keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited. It's not a legalism thing. It's not something that you can compare one person to another in. It's not provoking one another. It's not envying one another. It's walking together in the joy that we have. A few last verses from Psalm 19. I haven't quite made it complete in this message. But verses 12 and 13 say, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let us allow the work of the Spirit to do what he has been given to us to do. To reveal to us those sins that are hidden. Those ways of the old life that has been crucified. And let us walk in the strength that he provides. I want to give you a few moments just as we close to confess sin. Abandon yourself once again. Submit yourself to the Spirit of God. by your spirit Lord has held up for us a mirror and maybe it's revealed some ugliness that is in us maybe we've turned away because we know what we would see with the light of God shining upon us but you don't reveal these things to us to condemn us you reveal them to us that we might submit ourselves once again to your work. For it's your work in us that produces the fruit that we long for, the life that declares the resurrection of Christ. So we submit ourselves to you. We welcome the Holy Spirit and his work. It's good, it's right, it's beautiful. And Lord, we pray that your gospel would, would work in every area of our lives this week. Restore us to purity. Restore us to wholeness. Restore us to relationship and peace. Father, you are at work in this world. Your spirit is at work in this world. And we want to be a part of that work. Produce your fruit in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.